Oh, good afternoon. Andrea was just asking me if there's anything I need. And um, I said, a topic. <laughs> uh, sometimes I, I, I share, you know, there, there are many forms of, of offering uh, Dhamma reflections. At times I, uh, I enjoy, in a way, the discovery process. So it's kind of with you and, and feeling kind of what's, what's here uh, in this moment. And in a way, that's, that's the way life is. I mean, we, don't, we don't really know what's coming. So as much as, you know, the day today had a certain structure, an idea of how things would unfold, did the day unfold exactly how you thought it might? It just kind of goes wherever it goes. It takes a kind of, um, to me, like this courage or willingness to step into that field. What is going to come? What's going to arise? I've already lost one yogi. No. (laughs) I'm sure there's causes and conditions come together. We don't know. (laughs) No. So just being immersed, right, in the reality, immersed in the reality of, of our life, how things really come about. I'm also, I'm often um, just amazed at what it is that we have to experience. You know, there's so much, so much tenderness, so much vulnerability, the exposure, right, in our mind and heart. The body subject to so much aches and pains. Oscillations between clarity and confusion, loving the Dhamma, hating the Dhamma, wish I'd never found this practice, or I want to do this all the time, you know. I love this. I love this possibility of awakening. I believe Andrea last night, or was it this morning, mentioned the still forest pool. Did you bring that up? Are creatures coming to visit? I remember something about creatures coming to visit. Yes. Yes. Because I had a memory that was brought up by that. And um, and I want to share this because it's kind of pointing to there's not as much as we think we need to do on the on in our practice it's so often 
we end up trying so hard to get experience right or to get the practice right, things will reveal themselves. I remember so often going to side on and saying, what do I do now? What do I do next? Okay, I watch this thought. I watch this thing. Now what do I do? And just keep watching. Like, all right, I keep watching. It's like, okay, now what do I do? So there's a, a, a time when I was um, ordained, I was a monk with him in Burma, and I, there was a kind of a, a recluse, wasn't really in the Sangha, so not um, in the Buddha Sangha. He was kind of following his own trajectory, so um, a renunciate wearing robes, but doing his own practice, and he, had, he was interested in Utejaniya and his teaching and invited him up to where he had... Uh, created a little shelter for himself in the, in the middle of the woods. And so Saido invited me to go along with him and we went to visit him. And this shelter turned out to be a hollowed out tree that he had been living in for about 10 years. And a little um, while before we arrived, maybe a year or so, uh, the tree had been hit by lightning and part of the the structure had kind of opened up, so it wasn't as good to stay in. So then he had built a treehouse um, 50 yards away or so. So in his side on, I went to go visit him. And when I saw this tree, I was really in this sort of renunciate phase of my practice, really burning with a lot of energy and uh, I could say a little, some striving, um, but loving that ideal of just going out into the woods. And so I asked Sayadaw and this and the recluse if I could stay in the tree for a little while. And so I did that. And the part of the story that I want to share with you is when I was in the tree, after uh, a rains, there would be, um, there was a kind of a root uh, outside the, the, the entrance of the tree where I would be inside and I'd be looking out. And there's a little bit of a pool right, where water had gathered in the, in the roots of this tree. And there was a screen, this kind of mesh screen on the door. So when I was inside, nothing could see in. Couldn't really see in because it, it was dark inside. So I'd be sitting there. And I'd look out and this pattern would happen, which was I would come in to the tree after doing some walking, not much nature, birds and other creatures that were visible. And I would come in and just do my practice. And the very first things that would come and visit were those really quick moving birds. And they'd come in and they'd come to the little pool to splash around and then fly off. And they do that, right? These birds would be visiting for five, 10, 15 minutes. And as I continued sitting, slowly, these little bit slower moving birds would come. You know, I'd see them approaching and kind of cautiously letting the other, other visitors come first. And then uh, when they sensed this, the settledness, the quiet, they began to, to arrive. 
And that sequence was like that. As I sat there, creatures that I would not ever normally get to see would begin to arrive. Actually, some of them were pretty large birds that I would think would be very easy to catch glimpses of, but were really quite timid, right? They would probably very vulnerable. And so they would be the last ones to eventually begin to kind of come closer, get a sense of whether or not it was safe, closer, and then eventually they would land, right, and splash in the water. So a lot of our practice really is like that. We don't have to do too much. So much just shows up. And so much shows up. We need, we need to know how to watch. Right? To know that it's worthwhile to do this work. But with enough information, a lot of it is really listening, being interested in what's here? What is this? So one of the invitations that we've been offering to you, in addition to including something that might feel really familiar, like awareness of the whole body, awareness of the breathing, we're inviting you as well to really begin to allow your your awareness to be natural to meet the conditions that are arising just as they are. I think it's so easy to think that there's got to be something better to be watching. There's something more worthwhile, right, to come back to, particularly when we don't like what it is that's arising. So a story that I've, I've shared uh, frequently because it points to this tendency is at the monastery, um, it isn't a quiet monastery. So it's, anyone that ever goes there sees just how chaotic the place can be. So talking is permitted and there's loudspeakers everywhere. Um, it's, it is not what you would think of as being the place that you would go to cultivate or to realize Nibbana. Right, peace, because it's the opposite of it. It's chaos, it's life. They might as well just kind of run a zoo in the monastery because it wouldn't impact really the level of noise and just stuff going on. So there was, there was a monk that um, when I first arrived, and this was the first person I ended up talking to, was, this, was a monk. And it was the first time I ever had a chance to speak to monks. I was so ecstatic that I was, the, I was being chosen to be spoken to by a monk. I was very excited. I was like, wow, he's willing to talk to me, right, a lay person. Anyway, so he, he began talking as I, as I arrived, welcoming me to the center, and he talked and talked and talked. And 
brought me back to his room and continued talking. And just that went on and on. At that time, there were uh, frequent power outages and there wasn't a generator yet. And the lights went out. And then through the darkness, his voice just kept going. (laughs) And like that, on and on. So that was a discovery that, okay, either all monks or this monk likes to talk a lot and and just keep going. Anyway, so this went on for, for not that night, but over time, um, I would often get cornered and I would see that he did that with almost anyone that he came into contact with was he would just talk. So there was a period in my practice that I was getting, I was really getting somewhere, right? I was, I was, I was on the brink, right, of some really good insights. I didn't know what they were, but I could just feel something is going to happen. Which, of course, made me feel precious. Okay, so I would be sitting in the hall a particular day. I remember this day so clearly. And I was really feeling, I'm going to have a breakthrough today. I didn't know what it would be, but I knew something was going to be understood. It's sort of like those qualities were coming together of momentum and interest. So I went from the hall and I went downstairs and I looked out. And I was just making sure that (laughs) the monk wasn't around so that I could get back to my room to continue developing my momentum, right? So I looked around. Okay, he's not there. Good. I said, I went. Got back to my room. I did some lying down practice, continued, went outside, looked around, okay, and went back, heading back to the hall, of course, he steps out from nowhere and says, oh, I'd love to talk to you about whatever it was. So, there I was, now confronted with a situation where I was very close to some very serious insights that were worth having. And this uh, situation, right, this monk then started talking. And the reason why this was particularly difficult was he just had a way of speaking so that every time he paused, it was in the middle of a sentence. And it would be so clear that it was rude to the walk away. So I really felt I could not get out of the predicament, right? Okay, so I was there and hearing him talking. And my mind was saying, I want to get back to the hall to meditate, right? I've got to get back. I want to be aware. And the mind was burning with this agitation, just burning. I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to keep going. This is blocking me from practicing, right? And you can imagine what the insight then was starting to happen. Right there, right right in the middle of something that I didn't want to be experiencing, that I was saying was an obstacle, was such fertile ground for understanding. And this is craving. This is aversion. I don't like this. I want to get back to the hall. I'm actually aware right now. I'm aware while the monk is talking to me. This was like going on in my mind. 
I can't believe I'm actually aware and he's talking at me. I can hear what he's saying and there's this awareness that's going on. Right? Just like for you right now, some awareness going on. I'm doing the talking. That day was a special day for me because it really kind of popped this attachment that Sayadaw was trying to do for me, which was to loosen up this grip that I had around what I thought right practice looked like. Right? I kept having this idea, good practice is a certain experience. Right? It's a certain kind of experience. The thing is, life is all kinds of experiences. Have you noticed? It's all kinds of experiences. How do we meet all kinds of experiences? We really meet them as they are. Right? As Andrea used this phrase, as things have come to be, yata bhuta, as things have come to be, it's like this right now. How do we meet that? How do we meet this? We're all going to meet fear. We're going to meet anxiety. We're going to meet feelings of not being good enough. The mind comparing. And if we always think that that is the obstacle, we've got to get back to something else, we're missing this gold. It's precious. It's not fun at times, right, to have these challenges come up, but they're precious. That's how we get to know them. So part of that understanding also really points to this this bit of knowledge that we need to have or wisdom that we that we need to bring into the mind whatever is happening whatever is happening we can say it's a dhamma right it is a reality if it's in your immediate experience causes and conditions have come together for this to be here And whatever experience it is, has these same characteristics that the Buddha said, this is what we need to see. We need to see that all experience is impermanent. We need to see that being impermanent, it's unreliable, right? It's dukkha, doesn't have the capacity to bring this sense of safety and of ease. It's just dukkha. It's not suffering at that point, it's just dukkha. And then anatta, meaning it's a process, right? It's not, it's not something that is a self, it's not a solid thing, but we identify and cling, right? So whatever it is that we're experiencing, whatever it is, it's a good enough thing just have those insights, right? Feelings, for me, it's like I've talked about this a little bit, these feelings of not good enough or of shame. Why is shame so, so powerful? 
Well, because my mind identifies with a story when it's doing that. And then it resists the feeling of those experiences. So if it's resisting and being identified with what's there, I'm caught. Now it's moved into suffering. Right? What is simply just the nature of what it is, the mind is getting entangled. Doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. So that takes a lot of pressure off. If we don't have to create or manipulate experience, then we need to take care of our mind that's meditating so that we can see, am I able to be with this or am I just getting lost? So there are some skillful things we want to do, which is not just stay lost in conceptual stories, use the body as a frame, connect with that, open to things that feel immediate, right? So the awareness gets stronger. But we're not needing to manipulate what's arising. That's the nature of this moment. That's what's here. Moment by moment, this is what's here. And we have more and more confidence as we go along that it's something that we're learning about. We're seeing how we may be entangled with what's there. We're seeing how we may be reacting to what's there. And this is those kind of series of things that we begin to attune to if we're willing to hang out with something something that's an edge. So you know, an interesting place to explore is to look at what is it that's not being allowed. That sequence that I dropped in at one point to relax, allow and observe. What do we think of as not being allowed? What's not allowed? One of the groups we were talking about 
you know, just how hard work it can be to be ourselves. Just to be ourself, it's strange that that would be hard work. We have a body, it's breathing on its own, heart is beating. All these processes are going along. So this is a natural unfolding, a natural process, and yet it can be so hard to be ourselves. And I mean, in this particular framing, not because things are unpleasant at times, but because we have so many internalized agendas and ways that we think we ought to be. Things we think we should be doing, what's the right way to be, or we try to present constantly, presenting, trying to be good enough, sufficient. I remember as I was just kind of moving into the teaching role, right, into being first as Nisha is being an assistant on this retreat. So I was being my first assisting role. And at the beginning of the retreat, there were a couple people sitting in the hall before the retreat was starting and I was just gonna go put my shawl on the, the dais, the platform, where the teachers were gonna sit. And I remember it was at Spear Rock, it was the first time I was there and I was walking into the hall, there were some yogis, the hall looks like this infinite stadium at that time because I was terrified. So it was endless space to be intimidated by. And walking in, there were yogis there and there, I felt like, oh gosh, like first time doing this and going up to the front and then just putting my shawl on the front platform where I was going to be sitting, I almost had a panic attack, heart racing. And I thought, this is truly a mistake. I definitely should not be teaching. If I can't even put my shawl on the platform, there's, this is hopeless. So one of the things that I began to explore in my uh, entry at times into meditation halls, I just began to think, okay, what if I shared this with someone, what if I were invisible? How would I move around if I were invisible. I don't mean to make ourselves, you know, kind of not to be seen. It's important to fully take up space to really be here. But my particular tendency is to feel like I'm being so watched, right? Just the conditioning. And having seen Sidal, Utejaniya, move around, he clearly does not care what you think about how he is moving around, right? I always just had this image like water buffalo. I think maybe in a long distance past, long past life, he was a water buffalo. The more recent lives, I think he had better karma because came into the world with some good karma, but somewhere back there, he was a water buffalo because it's just like he moves and it's just, you know, and sounds coming out one end, (laughs) out the other. (laughs) Irrespective of who's, you know... (laughs) In, in sight, so it's like, oh, so it's natural, it's nature. He is being nature. He's embodying nature. 
And I could see my whole system was holding on so tightly, so tightly. Where does that come from? Why do we hold on so tightly? Right, so when we are attached to our feelings, to our body, to our sense of self, our idea of self, it's natural, we will want to protect. Right, that's natural. In a way, it's kind of a beautiful movement, this self-protection. And yet we can actually open up into that. We can open up and really begin to explore what is it like to allow all the intimacy of feelings, anxieties, and fears, open to them, feel them. This human capacity that we have to be right in the middle of our experience is really extraordinary. It's remarkable. It reminds me of when the Dalai Lama had first arrived to IMS and was meeting with a few of the teachers. And in that first discussion he was having, someone was reported, one of the teachers, sort of talking about this tendency of this inner critic to be so strong, the inner critic of not feeling good enough. And the Dalai Lama apparently saw people nodding their head and he got very interested in this because he hadn't really heard that apparently to that extent. And then he asked, really, you too? You have that? You have that? And looking around. And what was said at that time um, was that Dalai Lama actually was quite sharp with that view. Saying that is wrong view. That's wrong understanding about your nature. And then he spoke about, and this is in kind of the cosmology of Buddhism, which is the, the precious human birth. This is a precious opportunity that we have. We can develop such clarity, such awareness and wisdom, looking into the patterns that are there in our mind and heart, things that need light, that need awakening. And we miss that. We, we don't reflect on this capacity. We are so fortunate. Even if this is just, just scientifically true, we have this capacity. Who knows about the whole spectrum of lives that may have, we may have been born into or not, but just we can see we have this capacity to go from being in trance, being lost, to being awake. And the more moments that we are awake and present, that builds, right? That builds into stability, into right, this collectedness. And then through that sense of stability and collectedness, we can see what's here. What is the nature of an emotion? What is an emotion? Being curious about that. You know, what is seeing? We take seeing for granted. 
What is this process of seeing, seeing consciousness? It's different than sounds. In this room right now, we we all have the ability to hear. But on the retreat, not everyone has the ability to hear. So easy to miss what it is that's so close. So hearing, seeing. In, uh, in the role of being, you know, offering uh, support in the Dhamma, sharing Dhamma in this role, you know, I get to go through now the rhythm of retreats and the patterns, just the mind and heart that we all have and seeing us, this is so lawful, these movements that we have. And I, I really challenge you to say something about your experience, you know, that is totally off the charts. It's pretty much impossible. You know, we all think in ways that like, I'm stuck in my own conundrum. No one's ever had this before. We're not as unique in some ways as we think we are. You know, we are, we are unique in, in very precious ways, but patterns of mind and heart, they're there, right? They're there. But anyways, one of the things that I love so much about being in and out of retreat cycles. Going into retreat, you know, is we're giving our, our wholeheartedness in a way to these wholesome qualities, right? We're not giving our attention to being distracted and just getting lost in conversation and indulging in whatever. We're giving ourselves into this awakening, and even in a few days, there is a little bit of a shift, right? some sensitizing, some stabilizing of the mind. In those same days, the world is just going on, doing its thing. So time is passing, right? It's passing all the time. And it doesn't take many days for there to be some sense of stability, where the residue of the mind hankering after the past stories and all the things that we bring into retreat begin to settle, right? Just by putting a cup down, it settles. If it has, you know, some sort of silt in it, the way to get it to settle, just put it down. So being here, just putting the body down, putting the mind down, things settle. But in the world, so what happens? We're constantly shaking, always shaking. Right, so these moments, moment by moment, so precious what happens. It's imperceptible in some ways. Imperceptible. This morning I was looking at the uh, three big redwoods outside my window and kind of the question came to mind, when did they become this big? I could have asked that question all along there. I don't know how old they are. How old would they be? 500 years old, maybe? Anyone know how old those trees are? The big ones? Like 300 years old, maybe? It's like, so when does something get that big? 
all along the way, imperceptibly. Right? And if we take care of our mind like that, with just one moment, one moment, and we're discussing this kind of conundrum of both the preciousness, the urgency of practice in one of the groups, but also that sense of patience. So how do we open to that? Having patience, but being present. Both of those require wisdom. The wisdom knows that time is precious, always passing, but also knows can't rush anything. You've got to be with what's here. Meet with what's here, right, on its own terms. When we're able to do that, balancing the mind when it's too much. Moment by moment. So I invite you to just stay with your experience. You don't have to change your posture or anything. And we'll just spend a few minutes in silence.
Thank you for your attention. And we'll see you in a little while. Mm-hmm.